Five scores! Rick Bob. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bob. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Well, welcome everyone to episode 53 of the Squid and Ultimate Leap Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? How was the golf game today? Golf game was okay. I'm Currently, there was a lot of guys still on the course. And uh, we have a senior tour here now, Doug, uh, that we have five events in Niagara. And I was third the first event. And this one, I'm currently t- tied for third. <laughs> and... Uh, but there's still a lot of guys out on the golf course, so we'll see what happens. Well, Squid, I want to uh, say that uh, our guest today is a fellow down east. We've just slipped it up a little bit there for us, but that's okay. This is live, t- live TV, yeah. and we're across the world, so everybody will get a little insight that way. But another Dan Eastner from Summerside PEI, well-known in the media world, uh, came up through the coaching rank, starting off at the University of New Brunswick. Uh, ran an NHL club, ran a couple NHL clubs, uh, one of the builders of the Columbus Blue Jackets, never afraid to voice an opinion, affectionately known as Prince Eddie. Please welcome to the Ultimate Leaf fan in the Squid Show, <laughs> Doug McLean. Doug, how's it going these days? Well, it's pretty quiet. I, um, I'm doing a, a little show with Kiprio three days a week, which is really a pain in the ass, but it's, um, you know, it's fine. I mean... <laughs> We're, we're having some fun doing it, but uh, I could certainly do without it. But, you know, Kippy's got to work. You know, I'm retired. So, you know, anything to help a buddy, you know. <laughs> well, before we get underway, Squid and I love the nicknames. Now, yours seems pretty obvious for people who know you, but who laid that handle on you, Prince Eddie? I don't know where that ever came from. I mean, you know what? I, I never had a nickname till I got to Sportsnet. And, and I became Mac at Sportsnet. That was the first time I ever had a nickname in my life, which is pretty bizarre. So Mac started at Sportsnet. The Prince Eddie was just, I, I don't know. I saw it one time written somewhere, and I thought, where the hell did that ever come from? But you know what? It's because I used to talk about PEI all the time, you know? And people thought it was, you know, you, I had quite a bit of real estate here and an apartment building and stuff. So I was always promoting, trying to help myself, you know, but I mean, I got credit for it, you know, but anyway, it's a great place to be from. As Ricky knows, it's a, we love it here. We spend a lot of time in PEI and um, you know, we're, we're usually here for four and a half months a year. So it's uh, it's great. Well, if I, Doug, if I had your money, then I'd, I'd have a place there, but unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I didn't make that much playing, and and then Al Eagleson did a good job on our pension. So I, for 13 years, I get a thousand bucks a month. That's not too shabby. <laughs> no, that's not bad, you know. But uh, you know what? I I I didn't. I guess I don't know. I kind of I got into real estate. I, I remember a guy coming to visit me in PEI 20 years ago, a friend of mine in Florida, and he said, "Doug, he said the land here is free." You know, so we formed a bit of a company and we started doing things, but uh, we love it. Our kids have grown up here. We played a, they played a lot of summer sports here and hockey schools here. So it's really been a big part of our family life, to be quite honest. So 
we're, we, we love it here. We're on the ocean and uh, it's pretty tough to beat. And then we spend seven months in Florida. So I don't think it's about money. I guess it's just you go where you, you know, where you go and you make the best of it, you know. It's the lifestyle. Well, before we get into your career and coming up, we obviously talk about what the obvious is right now. Currently, your thoughts on the way the finals are shaped up in the National Hockey League? Well, I mean, for you and Rick, it's pretty depressing when you see Montreal <laughs> going where they are and your Leafs playing with Ricky. Are they playing with you in this tournament or what? <laughs> so well, they're not old enough. Good. It's 55 and over. It's just, it, it's just not good that the Leafs are watching the Montreal Canadiens, who were the worst seed to get in the playoffs. It, it's It's been a great story, to be quite honest. But, you know, for the Leaf fans, it's tough to swallow when it's 3-1 and then you see this team going to the finals. That happens. They got they played pretty good hockey. Can they beat Can they beat Tampa Bay? That That's the million-dollar question. And you know what? I think they're going to give – I think it's got a chance to be a hell of a series. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the way their big four on the back end is defending and uh, the character of a Weber and a Price and the kids are playing well and the veterans are playing well, they can stay out of the penalty box. They have a chance. They have a chance to to make it a series. I think they really do. Well, I was going to say yeah. this. Since you've opened it up, and we do have a Maple Leaf bias slightly on this show, put your GM hat back on for a second, Doug, and walk us through what you do with the state the Maple Leafs are sitting today. Well, it's really tough. I, I, I hate to do that because you. I know how tough it is when you're in that job and that, you know, I, I was with an expansion team and, uh, you know, for eight, nine years, and it, it was a grind. It's a real grind. And that's when expansion teams were real expansion teams, not the fake ones they have today. But it, it was a grind. But I, you know what? I here Here's what I was thinking today. If I'm the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs and I'm watching the playoffs, I'm concerned about two things. I'm concerned about do my players play playoff hockey, which has been well documented. But I'll tell you another thing that would really concern me today, that I'm going into the season next year with the Toronto Maple Leafs, a very similar team, but Jack Campbell is my number one goaltender. Now, I like Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell had a good 15 games or whatever he played, 20 games, whatever he played. But when you watch the goaltending that's going on in the playoffs today, mm-hmm. I'm not sure Jack Campbell stacks up. And that would be scary to me. Absolutely frightening to me from the Maple Leafs. I think they got a thin back end. I think they've got a lot of guys that don't like to play playoff hockey. How much can they change that between now and October? That that's that's a big task, especially when Hyman is a critical guy to get signed and they may not be able to have the dollars to get him done. Well that's that, again, Doug, so that so where do you go from there when you got four guys? Making over forty million of an eighty-one point five flat cap, do you move one or two of those big guys and perhaps try to bring back something cheaper and maybe you know a little bit younger or or around the same age that's going to make you a better team and a better playoff team? I agree with you hundred percent. I think they're a team that's great in the regular season, but they don't play playoff hockey. 
But, you know, the challenge is who is the guy? You you can't move Tavares. That, that, that's, that's a given. You cannot move Tavares' deal unless you take so much back. So that, that to me, that's a no-brainer. You can't move Matthews because he's he's too good. Mm-hmm. To me, that the obvious Mar, uh, Marner, I I love Marner. I know he struggled at the playoff time, but I still love Marner as a player. I think I think he's an important guy for them, and I think he's going to grow into it. To me, Nylander had a great playoff, but he's probably the guy that makes the most sense. And then try to move that money into two players, maybe. Maybe it's to help get Hyman signed, and maybe it's to bring in another defenseman because million-dollar defenseman, the Bogosians and these guys are okay. They get you through it. But you see how important Weber, Petrie, Edmondson, I mean, these guys mm-hmm. become real important players. You look at the defense on Tampa Bay. Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev, Savard. I mean, it just goes on. And, Chernak, it just goes on with big body defenders. So their blue line to me is not playoff ready. So you got to help fix that. And Riley's going to be a challenge to get signed. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Nylander's the guy. That's just my own opinion. I, I Everybody's talking Marner because he had an off playoff. But Marner get 20 points next year in the playoffs if he and Matthews figure this out and get it going. Well, that's all. That's been the, we've discussed that many times on our show and with lots of people sending us questions. I mean, the obvious thing out there is here's one for you that everybody seems the narrative is with Morgan Riley obviously being a focal point going into the new year. Um, that could be very dangerous if you don't get something done with him. How about this trade that's being thrown around by people and media and stuff? Going to Columbus, would you swap Marner for Seth Jones? One for one? Yes. I would do it and like I, I I would do it so faster head would spin. That was our answer too, by the way. <laughs> now you know what I mean. This is a guy that you know that's going to be a really tough deal because there's all kinds of teams lined up trying to get Seth Jones. Seth didn't have a good year this year, by the way. He was he was that's pretty right. average this year, but it was kind of a messed up year there. But yeah. I, I mean, and I look that's no just. I happen to really like this kid as a player. I, I really do. So, but I mean, when you look to me, guys, Morgan Riley is a very, very good number two defenseman. I don't have Morgan Riley as a number one guy. And Ricky, and you guys know this, how many teams win a Stanley Cup without that big number one defenseman, whether it's Niedermeyer, whether it's Pronger, whether it's Lidstrom, whether, I mean, they go on and on. That big number one Edmund. guy that's Edmund. the horse, you know, Edmund. Yeah. I mean, it just goes on and on. There's been the odd team that, that won a Stanley Cup without that big guy, but very few. So, And I love Morgan Riley, but I've got him as a great number two. I don't have him in the category of the big horses that are the number one guys in the league. Squid. Yeah, I think I think I'd have to agree with you on that one. I think you had, I mean, again, I love Mitch Marner too. Whether he'll figure it out how to play in the playoffs, I'm not really sure. But if you can get Seth Jones, a big, strong defenseman that can complement Riley and and the rest of their defense, I mean, I think you do it in a heartbeat. I, I don't think you even hesitate. 
And, and I, it'll be interesting to see year. what kind of deals. I know Philadelphia are making a big push to get them. Uh, Colorado will probably. Dallas will probably. I mean, there's lots of rumors of teams that are making a big push. But listen, Marner's a hell of a player, guys. He's a hell of a player. But here's the problem for the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets need the center iceman. They desperately need a center iceman. Marner, I know he's played some center. I don't have him as that big dump one centerman, but he's a hell of a player. So I don't know if it's a fit for Columbus, but it, it, it would be an interesting conversation. I know that. Well, we thought it would be a good fit for Columbus because they've got, they made a big pitch for, and they paid a big price for Laney. And this would give Laney somebody to play with. So that was the yeah. thinking between our rationale by making that trade. Secondly, Doug, the last question before we move on. Do you think Sheldon Keith is the right voice for this team or do they need a more experienced one? Well, you know what? I, I think Sheldon is a, is a solid coach. I, you know, he's paid his dues. I, I hate to, you know, to, to second guess him this early. I mean, did he have a, a great background? Well, he had, a, he had a better background. He had as good a background as I had when I coached in the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's hard for me to criticize a guy with little limited experience. <laughs> I remember when I got the job in Florida, a, a guy at TSN uh, asked if I was the fourth or the fifth choice for the job. Um, so, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to criticize. I, I don't think Sheldon's the problem. I think, and Ricky knows this better than I do, at playoff time, it's easier to defend than it is to fight through. It's easier to coach when you're the defensive coach versus the guy that's trying to create offense. That is unbelievably challenging. I watched Peter DeBoer, who's one of the most experienced coaches in the NHL, fumble his way through a series of Montreal. I mean, they said Bartlett was fired in, in Vegas because he couldn't do in-game adjustments, which I call bullshit. And DeBoer was brought in to do in-game adjustments. And I said the other day on Nick's podcast, DeBoer better show me some in-game uh, adjustments here real fast or they're going to be on the sideline. So hard to do in-game adjustments when you're the defense, when you're the offensive team. It really is. Cooper seems to be able to do it, but he's got to have a lot of talent. So, yeah. you know what? They were able to fight through the Islanders' uh, neutral zone play and defensive zone play. Toronto couldn't figure it out. I don't know if it was Keith any more than it was the players. I, I'm not blaming it on Sheldon. Well, I, I think, Doug, I think I got to blame it on the entire coaching staff because they didn't make any adjustments during that Montreal series. I mean, even when they went down, uh, Montreal won the second game and it's 3-2, they just kept playing the same way. They didn't change their power play. They didn't change the way they played. They just kept doing the same thing, and, and, and it wasn't working. And, well, you know, I, I look at the whole coaching right. staff and say, guys, you know, you look at video, you got a guy upstairs watching. Can you not see that you've got to change the way you're playing in order to beat this hockey team? Well, you're right. I, I think sometimes the arrogance takes over. You know, you become a little arrogant when you had the season that the Leafs had and that when they're up 3-1 in a series. But what was frightening was – and you basically said it, Ricky, is that they weren't they weren't in these last couple of games. It wasn't close at times. 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, Montreal took over that series, which is hard to believe, you know, it's hard to believe that Marner, Matthews, and look, in fairness, they didn't have Tavares. I get that, but they were having trouble generating a whole lot. They couldn't generate much. And you said the power play was abysmal. I mean, they couldn't get anything through. Yeah. So I don't know. Price was terrific, but goaltenders are typically great at playoff time. That's why I'm concerned about their goaltending, and nobody else is, but I am. Well, actually, we discussed that on this show because he needs a backup, and unless they go with Joseph Wall, who they've been growing for the last couple of years, any goalie that's an unrestricted free agent makes more than Campbell. So how that's going to be a challenge in itself. So you're either going to replace him with the starter, or it's going to be pretty tough to tell him the backup you're making more than the starter. So really we'll sit back and see how talking, that. I was talking to some people in Seattle today, and like they're nervous about the expansion draft because of lack of goaltenders that are available. You go through the teams right today that are available for the expansion draft. Look at, you know, Vegas end up with Flurry. Yeah, it was a trade. It was a setup with Pittsburgh. I get that. But what goaltenders are available for Seattle? And you're at the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're a contender and you've got a guy that's got four or five playoff games and total experience in his career and you're talking winning a stanley cup i'm sorry that's frightening mm-hmm. for me that really is and i like that campbell i look he, he's a good goaltender but you got to be an elite goaltender typically to win the stanley cup well as you pointed out the four remaining goalies was you saw at the semifinals now the two remaining this is a level you have to be at to win a stanley cup and that that's and, that's and, never changing it where, isn't going to change and, and where do the Leafs get the money to – so let's say Jack Campbell. What what if he sells? Where do the Leafs get the money to bring well, in that's the point. Top goaltenders are 5 to $7 million a year now. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. the problem. So, anyway, nobody's talking about their goaltending. And I I never hear it mentioned. I never hear it mentioned. But, of course, I'm not in the circles that you guys are in anymore. But I, I, I'm, just, I'm just a little bit concerned. And I, you know, I don't get – Kyle at times. I mean, he makes a big announcement to sign Jason Spezza. Like, are you serious? Like, what's the rush to announce that Montreal are going to the Stanley Cup final and they announce that's a signing and now they're negotiating with Simmons and then they announce that they hired a new coach GM for the Marlies. Who gives a shit right now? The fans want the Stanley Cup. They don't give a shit about who the Marlies GM is. What the hell are they announcing? Forget announce it when it's a soft week of news, for God's sake. Anyway, well, just as you know, the Maple Leafs are never there's never a shortage of things to talk about with the Maple Leafs, and there never will be. So this will be an ongoing sag as we move forward. But Doug, we want to do get into a little bit of you and your background. So let's go right back to the beginning. You start off. You you played a little bit Montreal Canadian Junior Canadians on a not a very good team. You got to play. You played with Ian Turnbull. Um, you ended up playing at uh UPEI, your hometown team, university. I had a couple of buddies that played there. And you ended up as a head coach at the University of New Brunswick. Walk us through how that all developed. It's kind of a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I did, I played with the junior Canadians. Yeah, Ian Turnbull was, uh, was a teammate of mine. Actually, we used to drive from Dorval into Montreal every day. So that, and on the, on 
Trey Saint Laurent was also a member of that team. There was a few guys that played in the NHL off that team, but I mean, it was it was you know. So I was there a year and a half with Montreal. I think I scored five goals a year. I was really a big big year. And, <laughs> and I went to St. Louis's St. Louis Blues training camp, and uh, St. Louis sent me to their first farm team was in Salt Lake City, and they sent me to Johnstown to the Johnstown Jets. And so I go there to train camp and I had one of those Hockey Canada scholarships that, you know, paid yeah, for your ride with Hockey Canada in those days. And I actually, the way I got it is Brian Murray, who coached against me in Ontario, recommended me for it. I didn't even know Brian Murray. He recommended me for the Hockey Canada scholarship. And I was playing in an all-star game that Brian was coaching in a junior. So, so I go to the GM of Johnstown and I said, look, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I've got, I'm here and I've got a chance to go to university on a hot, full ride for four years. And his name was Mitchell. He's a famous GM. He's, the Mitchell Cup is East Coast League. There was a famous, well, he was a GM. He was, he was the character in Slapshot. So anyway, he said, look at me and he said, listen, I watched you play the last two weeks. You were my son until you go to university. <laughs> so then I was having dinner that night, and there was this famous Johnstown Jet was having dinner with his name was Reg Kent. And if you look at the East Coast League, you'll see that Reg Kent was one of the leading scorers every year. And I was sitting there at 19, and Reg Kent was sitting there at 32. And I told him I had a chance to go to college or to stay in Johnstown. And he looked at me and he said, and I said, you know, St. Louis sent me here. And he said, you know what? He said, Detroit sent me here nine years ago. And I've never heard another word from them since. So maybe you should go, he said. <laughs> that ended my pro career right there. So, but anyway, to add that story, not to bore you, when I was GM in Columbus, I was driving around the, the freeway with my son, who was nine at the time, Clark. And Don Waddell's on the radio doing a, uh, or, or I shouldn't say Don Waddell is. Uh, oh, what the guy, Dave Hansen. Dave Hansen was on doing an interview. Mm -hmm. Scott shot. And he said, well, you know, he said, your GM could have been in the movie here, but he wasn't good enough looking. He was in Johnstown with us that year, and he wasn't good enough looking to make the movie. And my kid looks at me and said, you could have been in Slapshot and you blew that? <laughs> so that's how close I came to being a star right there. Well, now, what about coaching at the University of New Brunswick? Well, I, I ended up, when I graduated from uh, university, I became a high school teacher in Southside. And I actually taught high school for seven years. Gerard Gallant was one of my students. Um, I'll never forget the day I was asking them what they, what they wanted to do when they finished school. And Gerard was 16 at the time I was teaching them. And he said he wanted to be a postman. And I said to him after class, I come out and said, Gerard, go to Sherbrooke next to play Major Junior. I said, Gerard, I'd focus on the hockey if I was you and forget about being the postman. So that's the best advice. So I've known Gerard since he was 11 years of age. So anyway, I was a high school teacher. Then I went back and did a master's in uh, special educa educational psychology at the University of Western Ontario. And I, and I became assistant coach with the London Knights. And I was there for a year when I was doing my master's. And, um, and from there, I applied and got the UNB job. And I was at the UNB at UNB for one year, and uh, 
Jacques Martin phoned out of the blue. I had worked hockey schools with Jacques, and he phoned me. He was supposed to come to my hockey school to UMB, and he phoned me out of the blue, and he said, Doug, I can't make it to your hockey school. And I said, you son of a bitch. I got you down on my knee. He said, no, I can't make it. He said, I'm getting uh, hired in St. Louis tomorrow and wanted to become my assistant coach. And that's that's how it happened. Jacques Martin sort of gave me the biggest break of my, uh, of my life. And then from there, uh, when we got fired in St. Louis, Brian Murray phoned and offered me a job in Washington. And I and I got, I you know what, it was fluky. And I was really lucky. And I ended up with like 24 years in the NHL, which is kind of amazing. It's great. Wow. And so you end up in Washington with Brian Murray. And then later on, you end up in Detroit with Brian Murray as well. So you were the you were running out of Rondack, I believe, at the time when they, they won the Calder Cup. They yeah. beat St. John's. And neither team won a home game in that series. I remember that. <laughs> and uh, so it was against St. John's, Newfoundland. Yeah. But the funny thing about that is I, I, met, I set up a meeting with Brian because I was coaching in Charleston in the ECHL, and we were looking for another affiliate other than Buffalo. Yeah. So I go in. Brian was great, wonderful person and, and a great guy. Yeah. So he sets up a meeting. I go in, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to him. And, and you know, Brian had that list. Yeah. And I'm sitting there for a while, and I'm thinking to myself, is he just fucking with me, or or is this real, or what? You know, and then, well, 15 minutes into the meeting, I realized that, oh, no, this is real. <laughs> I said to myself, I said, boy, am I ever glad that I didn't tell him to stop clowning around or something? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, so we didn't get the affiliate. We didn't get the affiliation anyway. <laughs> Brian, uh, you know, it was amazing. Uh, I Brian was coach at Pembroke, and and uh, I played an All Star game, Sudbury against the Central Junior All Stars, and Brian was the coach. And I met him there. I never. I, they were when I was at UPI. The Rock, Rockland were playing in Charlottetown against Charlottetown in the Centennial Cup or whatever it was. Yeah, I was there. And I went over and I said hello to Brian on the bench and we talked and, you know, hadn't seen him in four or five years. The next time I saw him was at the draft when I was with UNB. And then out of the blue, when I we got fired in St. Louis, he phoned me and asked me to come into Washington interview. And that's, that's as fluky as it gets because, you know what, that – Jock Patang gave me a huge break, but I'll tell you what, uh, Brian Murray, I mean, I was with Brian for 12 years, you know, so it was pretty cool, to be quite honest. Good looking well, guy. Brian was coaching Rockland against us, the Colonel Great Colonels in the Centennial Cup. Yeah. And That's they right. beat us four straight. They beat us that four was straight. The year. That year. Yeah. That, that yeah. was the year. That's unbelievable. Eh? So it's, you know what? Like you made it as a player. That's different. I mean, I always think back to to make it as a coach when I never played in the league, and and uh, from PEI, I was really really lucky. I'll tell you what, I was really lucky. It, it just took a lot of breaks and luck along the way to, to have an NHL career, and I'm pretty thankful for it. I'll tell you that. Well, while we're talking about luck. Doug, how about this one? Now, I've, we've heard Chris Draper, when you were at Adirondack, 
running the Red Wings team. Now, we've heard of a player being traded for a bag of hammers or for a roll of tape, but for a dollar, this could be one of the greatest trades ever. That was an amazing deal. I'll tell you how that happened. We, we were, we were, you know, they always wanted to have a good team at Adirondack, as Ricky said. I mean, it, it was, it was critical for the market. It was a small market, but they had a great history there. So I'll tell you how we ended up signing uh, Chris Draper. I, Jim Clark, who skips for Ottawa now, was a great buddy of mine, was with the Summerside Capitals with me for years, for a number of years. Jimmy now is with Ottawa. He ended up coming to Columbus with me. But Jimmy was our maritime scout for Detroit at the time. And he phoned me and he said, Doug, he said, you got to consider this kid Draper in Moncton. He's, he looks like he's on the outs with Winnipeg. He's like a third round pick. He can fly. I think he's got a chance to be a player. So I phoned Mike Smith and I said, Mike, what about Draper? I knew Mike Smith really liked him, but I heard his coach, John Paddock, didn't like him. So Mike Smith said to me, he said, I love, I love Drake and I want to do him a favor. I'll trade him to you for a dollar because I want to see him get a chance. And I thought, are you shitting me? So we made the deal and then it got squirrely with the NHL because it was first came out as future considerations. So we made the deal for future considerations and then we said, okay, what are we going to do? We got to, we got to put a, a value on this. And Mike says, give me, a, give me a dollar. So I actually gave Mike a dollar. So that's how it happened. And, and then he comes to training camp and he's, and he's struggling in training camp. I mean, he looked good, but he didn't make the Red Wings. And so he gets sent on Adirondack and he says he thinks he's going to go back to Toronto and consider whether he's going to play or not or just quit hockey. I phoned Newell Brown, the coach of Adirondack. I said, you phone, you phone Dix right now. And you work him hard to get him to Adirondack. So he goes to Adirondack. He has an unbelievable year. Timmy Taylor was another guy we signed that same time. And Timmy also went with Drapes and Steve Malte were the three. Another guy, Peterson, we signed a medicine hat. The four of them had great years. But Scotty Bowman and I went to Hamilton at Christmas to watch Adirondack play. Scotty was the head coach. And Drapes had a hat trick. Called him up after the game, and he never played another game in the minors, and the rest is history. So, Jimmy Clark was really the guy that deserves the credit for the Red Wings getting Chris Draper. And what a, what a career, and what a kid he is. I mean, he's just been an amazing guy. Yeah. So, it's kind of funny how well, is, he not, is he not uh, one of the brass with the Red Wings now? With Assistant. Yeah, he's, a, he's like Stevie Wise's main guy there. You know, he's, he's a real yeah, amateur, yeah. and I'm not sure what else, but he's a real important guy. And he's been a, you know, he's a run into him in, in, at minor hockey tournaments. And I was watching Clark and 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 looking with, with Clark looking for players. So I, I've sort of run into Drapes a lot over the years, but he's a wonderful guy. And what an amazing career he really had. But talk about a guy, talk about. Talk about the Leafs and what they need for guys that play at the at playoffs. How good was guys that like him at playoff time? Yeah, okay? that he was the yeah, exactly playoff type guy. You know, they're hard to find sometimes. Well, I brought. I was yeah, having they, a. They, uh, I was watching a game the other night with. Uh, I'm down here in Florida with an old friend of yours, Jim Davalano, 
And I brought that trade up and he said, you know, Mike, for years I've gotten credit for that trade. And I always tell everybody that was nothing to do with me. That was all Doug McLean. So he does pass your allocates <laughs> along about that trade. Um, well, I, I, you know, I see, I hear a lot of people getting credit for it and I kind of chuckle, but Jimmy D has said that to me more than once, uh, you know, and, uh, and I'll tell you another thing, uh, Jimmy D scouted me when I was playing junior and actually uh, invited me to the New York Islanders training camp when Jimmy D was a scout with the New York Islanders. So that's how far you go back with some of these yeah. guys. Isn't it bizarre? Wow. Really bizarre. And he, and he stuck my, my scouting report underneath my office before when I was assistant GM in Detroit and he was vice president. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad I get to manage him. Um, so talk about how you ended up in Florida and how that how the job came about, the big leagues now. Well, you know what, I, was, I had been with Brian for a number of years in Washington and then in, with him for five years in Detroit. And all of a sudden, he, uh, you know, he fires Roger Nielsen. Roger Nielsen, you know, obviously legendary coach. And Brian and him, Brian just felt they needed to change. I mean, he loved what Roger did, but. He made the coach. He he decided to to make coaching change. So, I went. I was living in Detroit at the time, and I met Brian at Bob Big Bob's Big Boy Restaurant. And I said, we were sitting there, and I said, I know you're going to hire a coach. And he said, Yeah. And I said, Look, I've been your assistant for ten years or whatever. And I said, uh, Brian, I'm telling you, you'd be an idiot if you don't get a chance at that job. And Larry Robinson's name was in there, and all the big names were in there. And I thought, oh, geez. So I said, Brian, you'd be an idiot. if." You... And I remember sitting in the restaurant, and he looked at me, he said, is that right? So then it went through a long, I had to meet with Tori, and I had to go through the whole process. So it was like a two-month process. And I was up in Mill River for PEI at a hockey school up there. And I, I was, uh, we went over to the swimming pool. My son, Clark, was in the pool. He was about eight swimming. And I had got a call at the rink to phone Brian Murray in Florida. So I because we didn't have cell phones then. So I, I phoned him from the swimming pool on the pay phone. And he said, yeah. He said, um, uh, you're get, you're, you just got the job in Florida. And I just about fainted. And uh, <laughs> it was a sort of a dream come true. So, uh, you know, getting the job there was, was really, really, it was an amazing feeling when you spend a long time, you know, never think you really will ever get a chance. And, and then you get a chance to be a head coach in the NHL and, you know, and then uh, obviously go to the Stanley Cup finals in year one. And I was all-star coach two years in a row. I mean, I had, I've got some great memories, you know, to be quite honest. That's a great picture there. John Van Beesbrook sort of helped me become a good coach, I found, you know. Well, I was going to say so to you. About, start, oh, that ahead. year you went to the finals. Sorry. Uh, the year you went to the finals, like, that was a year of the rats. Yeah. I mean, what the hell was that like with all those rats raining down on the ice? <laughs> it must, it must, I, must have been I, ducking I, and I, getting out of the way. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I tell you what, I absolutely loved it. I mean, Mellon B and Van Beesbrook are the guys that started in actually game one. It wasn't game one. It was, I think, game three or four in Florida where they killed a rat in our dressing room. And uh, Mellon killed it with his hockey stick in the dressing room. And then Ben Eastbrook said after to the media that Mellonby had a rat trick. He had two goals. And he killed a rat in the dressing room. And it took off. But I'm telling you, a buddy of mine was on the ice cleaning up the rats. And 
He counted one night 900 rats on the ice in Florida when we scored a goal. I friggin' loved it because that meant we scored a goal and I, everybody was whining about it. I loved it. I loved it. So it was, uh, it was, a, it was an amazing, and we had a good team like Ben Beesbrook. You talk about coaching, like how important is goaltending to be going to coach? But John Van Beesbrook was unbelievable. In a couple of years there, and uh, we had some great character guys at Mellonby, Strudlin, and Lowry, and Gord Murphy, and Jovanovski was a kid, and Warner was a kid, and Niedermeyer was a kid. We had a great, great group of kids, and Lindy Ruff and Dwayne Sutter were my assistants, and they were terrific. So Billy Smith was my goalie coach, if you can believe that. So it was they were a great group, really. So I was going to say know, you had. You had those guys that are playoff guys, Scrooge yep. and Melody yep. and players like that. Those character guys that show up when it really counts. And I mean, that's what it takes to get to the Stanley Cup finals and to, or to win a Stanley Cup. I mean, you can't win without those guys. I mean, think about this. Dave Lowry scored 10 goals in that playoff run. Mike Huff scored wow. big goals for us. I mean, Huffer was a five-goal scorer, seven-goal scorer, but just a character, penalty killer, checker type of guy. I mean, we and you know what's really amazing? When I look back at that group of guys, all of them did really well in life. You know, whether it was business, whether it was in hockey, whether it was in other areas, they've all done really well as a group. So they were a, they were a tremendous, tremendous character quality group of guys i'll tell you and i and we you still hear from quite a few of them it's amazing tommy fitzgerald the mm -hmm. gm in jersey i mean it just it's on and on dave lowry in winnipeg i mean it's it's great to see so many of them have done so well well everything yeah. sort of runs its course as you know especially as a coach doug and you know you live yeah. live the night yourself so a couple of years of that then all of a sudden you're not there any longer the columbus opportunity now Walk us through that and just what your expectations were going. And you're basically coming from running an expansion team. So here you are picking this one up. So walk us through the Columbus experience. Well, it was pretty bizarre because, you know, I was a coach in Florida and it was a, it was a GM's job that was in, in Columbus. And I'll tell you how, how it happened is when I was coaching Baltimore in the American Hockey League, Years prior, this guy, I met this guy through a friend of mine after a game, and he worked for a steel company. Then when I was in Detroit, I got a call from this guy asking if he could bring a, some clients down by the Red Wing dressing room after the game. And I brought him down after the game in Detroit. Never thought a thing of it. Guy from Baltimore. So Columbus get the franchise. And I get a call from this guy from Baltimore. And he said, Hey, you know, I met in Baltimore. You brought me down to the dressing room in Detroit. You know, we don't know each other, but we're acquainted of my steel company just bought an NHL team. And I'm putting your name forward for the job. And I said, are you shitting me? <laughs> so the next thing I get a call from the owner and he lives five minutes from me in Florida. And I, uh, you know, I, uh, I drive down and to the Palm Beach or, uh, to Gulfstream Country Club and, and meet him for lunch. And I went through a month-long process of going back and forth to Columbus. And I get the job. And, and it, 
Then about two weeks after I get the job, I said to him, Mr. McConnell, who's going to be the president? We need a president. He said, well, you could be the president too. You could be the president. I think, I think, I think he thought I was running like a peewee travel team. <laughs> so the next thing I'm the president and I'm sitting there and I had no employees. I mean, it was like, like a year and a half before we started and I'm sitting there. So I pull out the Florida Panthers media guide and I look, start looking through it and writing, okay, I need a VP of corporate sales and I need a VP of this and VP of tickets and the uh, v, senior VP. Of, so I went through and wrote out and then ended up hiring like 250 people. It was it was a monumental task. And, and to think we started, I was first employee, really. There was one other lawyer that was working there with them. But it, it was amazing to go through that whole process. We built building, we built practice facilities. We, you know, it was, it was an amazing, amazing experience, to be quite honest. And something you never forget. But, you know, it was tough sledding in the expansion in those days with the, with the players you got. But, okay was something i was there you know i ended up being there almost 10 years so it's uh it was from the day i got there the day i left was was over 10 years so i i really appreciated the opportunity we didn't have the success on the ice that was frustrating um but you know what that that happened well just think about this doug you're handed a blank sheet of paper and said go get him tiger and put a team on the ice in two years. We'll see it. We'll see a puck drop for the national anthem. Like that, as you touched on, it must have been overwhelming. It like who was the first person you hired? Um, you know what? The first person I hired was Jim Clark, who um, was a PI guy. I, I brought him in as my assistant GM, and Jim had a business background as well as a hockey background. So he and I put, you know, sort of set the model as to how we we're going to put the team. We built the, uh, the management structure, both in the hockey and the business side. And then my next hire was to hire like a senior VP of business. And I hired a guy from the Panthers who I knew and you know, he came in and he was in charge of putting the business side together and we worked together on that. And so it, it just went from there. And uh, I, I remember looking one time, I think we had 5,000 resumes on file for people looking jobs and my phone never stopped ringing i mean it was it was a it was it was a tough it was it was exciting but it was tough because you can't hire everybody and you know um but you know what it was a it was an experience i i'll never i'll never give up uh you know thinking of all i have i have fond memories of it and frustrating with the hockey side but you know it was it was tremendous tremendous memories it's great Jim Clark is he? He's a he's from PEI as well, isn't he, Doug? Yeah, Jim Jim Clark is a guy that I met in second grade, and uh, my son Clark is named after him. And uh, we, you know, he was he ran the Somerset Capital for years. He was with Royal Bank teams when they went to the championship. He, uh, you know, he hired Dave Cameron in Somerset. He and then he worked part time with the Red Wings, uh, part time. With full time with Florida, and then uh, mm -hmm. with me. So yeah, he's a PI guy, and uh, now he's been with Ottawa for. He's director of pro scouting with Ottawa. He's been there for the last ten years. So he's uh, he's he's had a, a nice career. But he was assistant GM with yeah. me for ten years. He was ten years in Columbus as assistant GM. Well, I met him number a number of times. Uh, uh, 
over the years when I was in South Carolina and the ECHL yeah. and those sort of things. I ran into Jim quite a few times, actually. Yeah, I was going to say to you, uh, Doug, did uh, George McPhee or Ron Francis call you for any advice when they were starting up Vegas and Seattle? I heard from George briefly, you know. George used to call me more when he didn't have a job and he was looking for me to get a name on his radio <laughs> in Toronto. That I heard him more from that than I did after the fact. But, uh, you know, it was it was quite a different setup rule-wise. So uh didn't look like they needed a lot of help with the job they did. <laughs> but it was, I mean, yeah. we drafted guys. When you look at our expansion draft, we drafted the guys 90 percent of the guys we drafted we drafted because we didn't want them and we had to take somebody the guys that were exposed it was unbelievable like they would put free agents out there now, matthew schneider was was available to me so you draft matthew schneider well you know damn well matthew schneider as a free agent did not come to columbus and you know it was unbelievable the way it was compared to the, to, you know, the Vegas situation. I mean, there was, I mean, you think about it, Nashville came in, Atlanta came in, and us in Minnesota came in over a three-year period. It was, the, the, the cupboard was kind of dry, to be quite honest. So, you know, Riser did a good job in many. Jock Mayer was a great hire. I hired Dave King. Uh, I thought it would, you know, it would work. Dave's with me three years, but, I thought, you know, we ended up, unbelievable, we ended up the first year with more points than Minnesota. And my owner, you think he won the Stanley Cup. We had 71 <laughs> points and Minnesota had 70. <laughs> well, so, I was going to anyway. ask you, what, what was it like dealing with the GMs in those days? Now, you're fairly new in the job. you got an expansion team. You're looking to build a, 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 a network of people, build a brand. Were some of these guys, were the piranhas circling the wagons on you? You know, they were they were toughened during the expansion process, but really because I had been with Brian for so long, I you know, and I had a great relationship with Kenny Holland in Detroit. I you know, I knew I knew quite a few of the guys. I found them I found them really good deal with. I, I really did. There wasn't anybody that you didn't feel comfortable picking up the phone and talking to and, and even today. You know, I, I, I feel comfortable picking up the phone and, and phoning anybody that was a GM when I was there or an assistant GM and they were they were they were good people. They really were. Yeah, they 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 everybody's trying to win, but they I yeah. I I thought it was a good relationship. I really did, you know. It's great. Yeah, no, I I mean you know, it's fun. Hockey's a funny thing where you, you know, you work with a lot of people, you play, well I played and then got into coaching and, and that sort of thing. And then coaching the minors and coach Calgary's farm team. So you meet a lot of really wonderful people in the game of hockey. And you know what, years and years later, you run into these people or you meet them somewhere. And it was like, you, you know, you never really stopped talking to them and it's just, you, you just keep going. I found that anyway, that, that, you know. You know what, I, I think the one thing I always admired about the NHL, and I used to say this to my staff all the time, to, to play in the NHL, people have no idea how tough it is to make the NHL. And I used to say to my guys, even if a guy plays one game in the NHL, 
that means he had to be a hell of a player. So for guys that have long careers in the NHL, you know, and, and I know I know what it's like from a coaching management perspective, but I didn't have to lace the skates on. And I have, and I, and I think as a coach and a manager, that's, that's the one thing I always kept in the forefront of my mind, respect for the players, respect for what they have to do. And I, I, I think it helped me with, a, with relationships from coaching to management. There's not one guy that I ever coached or managed that I didn't like as a person. Lots I didn't like the way they played, but nobody I didn't like as a person. And I think it's a respect thing. I mean, look, you scored 50 goals, you had a long career. You know how hard it is to do that and to accomplish yes. that? It, it's really, it really is, it's something special, man. It really is, you know? Especially when Harold Ballard's your goddamn owner. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I used to, I, I mean, I was a big lease fan in those days. So Harold was, uh, oh my God. But you know what? Owners are tough, Ricky. I'll, I'll tell you what. People ask, what's the toughest part of being a GM? When you have to deal with an owner, they're tough guys. They've all made all kinds of money. And they think making it in the NHL is a, being successful on the NHL is an automatic. Well, let me tell you, it's not like business. Some people got lucky and made their money. Some people were really smart and made their money. But making it, being a winner in the NHL, it, it for owners, it's tough. It really is. But they're not easy to deal with, let me tell you. Well, let's just pick up on that part right there, Doug, because, it, again, the time is always the essence of the game. So we've got about 10 minutes left here and so much I want to get through with you on. But the three-prong sort of effect of, of alluring a player. One, you have to like him. Two, you have to convince the owner. Number three, you got to deal with probably the most important player once it, or the player in the uh, whole deal is the agent. Maybe explain to the listeners and all of us the role of the agent and how powerful these guys are because, let's face it, a guy like a Donnie Meehan, if you get in the wrong side of him, you may never see a player. Yeah, you know what uh... – the relationship with agents, I think it's it's not. I, I never found it that difficult. I think, you, you know, they're they're like everybody in the business. They they want you to be honest with them, and you want them to be honest with you. Like I used to say, Pat Morris all the time. You know, I would come home in the summer and I would sit up and, and look at the ocean and fight with Pat Morris all day long about contracts. You know, and I used to say, thank God, at least I can sit up. The cottage and, and look at the ocean and fight with you. I don't have to do it in an office in Detroit or Columbus or wherever I happen to be at the time. But you know what? You you you, you get a knack of working with guys. Um, some GMs become very tight with certain agents. I think. I mean, I remember going up to an agent, and you know, you, you got to be careful of tampering. But I remember going up to the draft, and I was looking for a, a veteran guy in, in Columbus to be a captain and to be a real important guy for us. And I remember going to this agent and said, look, I, I know I need a right shot defenseman who's a character guy, who's a tough guy, who's been a winner. And I really feel I first need that type of player. And I don't know if you have that type of player, but I really need that player. Well, he wasn't stupid. He knew who I was talking about, and it was Adam Foote. So, you know, you had, it wasn't 
tampering, but it sort of was a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know what? I I think you you develop relationships with agents, and you I I didn't I used to get mad at them, and they get mad at me, but at the end of the day, it was business, and you do the deal or you don't do the deal. So I think it's sort of Larry Kelly met at one time and didn't speak to me for a year uh, over a guy. Uh, you know, a guy that ended up being a minor league. And I thought, oh, but anyway, overall, we had pretty strong, you know, I thought pretty good relationships. And you have to. You're right. You have to work with them. And they're not that hard to work with if the truth was really known. As now, long let me as ask you get what they want. Well, let's add, let me ask you this. Was there where you have to give a little bit and take a little bit? So on an instance where a player maybe you would take a little less for a player, give it a little less for a player, maybe looking down the road that you would get it back from the agent on a bigger fish down the road? You know, I think I think there would never be a, pro a promise or a guarantee on that. But, you know, if you looked after them on certain guys. You That's know, what I was referring to. They, they, yeah. they think about dealing with you again because it was a positive thing. That would be what it would be more of. Yeah. yeah okay. That's fair enough. That's a good answer. Well, how about the media side? How do we get uh, so, so? Oh, go ahead, Scrat. So hold on. Oh, here we so, go. You're talking about this, and and I had to deal in a in a time where you had Al Eagleson, who is the biggest agent, but he was also like this with every single goddamn owner in the league, and we didn't yeah. have salary disclosure. We didn't have any of that kind of stuff. In fact, free agency was 32 years old. Not many guys made it to 32 back then. So it was a lot more difficult. You know and I know Eagleson, Eagleson for sure had GM say, okay, give this guy 50,000 less, but I want this guy to make 100,000 more. And he made those deals all the time. So. Yeah, I, 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 don't, uh, those I don't doubt that. You know what? I, that was, you know, those days were, were a little different. I, I never, I don't know. That if today's agents now the big guys would be, would know owners, but I I never I never had a situation in my twenty plus years of an agent dealing directly with an owner. Maybe it happens. Obviously, it does the odd time, but I never had that situation. I I, I never had that they would go around me. The eagle. I mean, that was that was different. I I, I agree. It was it was a challenging time. I walked into the Starbucks in Delray Beach about three years ago, and I, uh, maybe five years ago now, and I was going in to get a coffee, and I, this guy goes, hey, Mac, and I turned, it's Al Eagleson sitting having a coffee, and I thought, holy shit, so I sat and to him for like an hour. I never knew the guy, really. I never had met him. and um, so anyway, but those days were, yeah, you talked to some of the, the older players, and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. But I think today's agents, well, I think it's a lot different. I really hey, do. Hey, Squid, how do you like that? At least For he knew Judge's name. He didn't even know your name. Yeah, okay. So here's Eagleson. I was a fifth pick overall by Vancouver, and I'm with Al Eagleson. So he goes around to every team to talk about the player association and everything during training camp. So, And when he came to Vancouver or when he went to any city, he would take his clients out for a nice dinner at a nice restaurant. So I go to the restaurant, I'm sitting there, and, and one of the guys working for him, wasn't Sam Simpson, but it was somebody else came over and said, uh, what's your name? I said, uh, Rick Vibe. 
<laughs> but then the next thing I see him bolt right over to Al Eagles and whisper something to him. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, I was a fifth overall pick and he didn't have a clue who the hell I am. Like, so then when I got traded to Toronto, Bill Waters was with him. And then Bill left Al. And right away, that was the first thing I did. I said, okay, I'm done. I'm going with Bill because he's the only guy I ever talked to or knew my name. <laughs> well, Doug, we're getting that again. We're oh, down to so, a couple uh, minutes here. Well, Talk about the media side. Do, oh, sorry. Doug, talk about your media side and how that came about. Just uh, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, the media side, you know, when I when I left Columbus there, actually I got two calls, one from Nick Kiprios, who I had coached in Baltimore in the American Hockey League, and he said, how about coming? And the other call was from Bob Cowan. You know, hey, I'm going to talk to the boss. We'd like to, why don't you consider coming here and, and working with us? And uh, so I I went and then I, you know, and I, I don't know. It was a, it, it was a great ten, eight or 10 years for me. It really was. It was, you know, what I probably hurt my uh, opportunity to get back in the league a bit because I maybe shot my mouth off too much. But you know what? It was a great run. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had great <laughs> friends there. and it, 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 I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it the 10 years. Well, maybe put on your Except, and, except uh, for Bob McCowan, though. Yeah, well, Except we got to touch on yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. How did that actually, battle come fun. about? I phoned Bob. Hey, after that battle, that was because of Silly, because Basili had approached me to, you know, to to help him get a team to get a franchise in Hamilton, and I didn't tell Bob about it, and then it was announced that I was doing some advising for Basili. Bob snapped and lost his shit, and then he made a big deal on the radio <laughs> that night. So after we have this amazing fight on the air, I was standing by on the goddamn side of a highway. I was out to dinner and I was on the side of a highway in PEI yelling at him, yelling at each other for 25 minutes. So then after it was over, I phoned him the next morning at eight o'clock and I said, what, what the hell was that bullshit all about? Oh, well, I didn't know about it. And then, and then of course, I listened for the next little while about, uh, you know, how he wouldn't have me on his show and all this whole shit. But anyway, it was kind of funny. I get a kick at it. We laughed about it lots. I've been to his house in San. You know, I mean, it's it was a lot of bullshit is what it was. But anyway, my 92-year-old mother passed away two years ago. And until the day she passed, she used to say, hey, how's your relationship with that radio guy in Toronto? <laughs> so it certainly made an impact on her life. So, what a McGowan. It was fun. McGowan. <laughs> you kept calling his name wrong. McGowan. I remember. <laughs> oh, no. I call him by McGowan. his name all the time on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> that became obvious. That he was, you were getting to him pretty good. That was pretty funny. Well, listen, Doug, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we could talk to you all night. Uh, fantastic stories. I'm glad we finally got the time right, even though the guy who's on the show with me here knows nothing about Prince Edward Island. But and the time difference, but it all works. Excuse me. <laughs> but listen, those thanks, for uh, me on. And uh, are those your old skates up in the corner there, uh, Mac? Are those your old skates up there, hanging up on the wall? Those are my son's first. 
those are my son's first pair of skates when he was uh, <laughs> playing mite hockey in Detroit. So uh, oh, we okay. saved those. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, listen, we want to thank you for joining us and uh, all the best to you. And we'll see you hopefully soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Okay, Have thanks, Maggie. Take care, Doug. Good luck, guys. Thanks. Okay, thanks, man. Okay, bud. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye.